Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a new podcast about the economics of trade policy. I am Samaya Keynes, economics and trade correspondent for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bowne, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington. This week, the question hanging in the air, for trade geeks at least, was whether the Trump administration would withdraw America from the South Korea-US Free Trade Agreement, or CORUS. So he told reporters on September 2nd that the deal was on his mind. And when trade deals are on the president's mind, that is not a good sign. Withdrawing from the deal right now would be unwise. In case you haven't noticed, South Korea's neighbor North Korea is being pretty aggressive with its nuclear weaponry. A day after the president made his comment about Chorus, the North Korean government did what we think was its sixth nuclear test. Withdrawal from Chorus might be the equivalent of chucking an economic grenade into an already very dicey military situation. For now, it seems like withdrawal is off the table. A couple of days after the nuclear test, the language from the Trump administration was toned right down. Um, And now it just looks like they're going to be focusing on getting some amendments, renegotiating the deal. So even if it's not going to be scrapped, it's still in the Trump administration's sights. So in this episode, we're going to be telling the story, of course, this trade deal that Mr. Trump is so skeptical of. First, we're going to explain how this deal came to pass and why each side wanted it. Then I will quiz Chad on what the deal was supposed to achieve. He should know he was in the Obama administration when it was finally being negotiated. Then we're going to discuss why exactly it is that this president thinks that Chorus is such a failure. And whether he is right. And the answer, well, the short answer at least, is no. The long answer, well, for that, you're going to have to wait and listen to the podcast. So, Maya, give us a bit of context. Tell the listeners a version of South Korea for Dummies. Okay, well, uh, for every six Americans, there is roughly one South Korean. So it's not a tiny country. It is a developed economy. So its GDP per person is about the same as Spain. But the key thing is it didn't used to be. In the 1960s, it was really, really poor. It was highly dependent on foreign aid. Uh, Just for fun, because that's the kind of thing I do, I looked back to see what it exported in 1962. And I found that it was the biggest ones were raw silk, uh, wood, big, big wood exporter um, and crustaceans and mollusks, interestingly. okay, so today uh, its exports are not those things. It is a fairly rich country. Its export led growth has made it that rich country. So now it's the home of Samsung. It exports cars, computers, TVs, radios, the final product and also the components. Also, just for fun, I I found out that they they still account for one percent of the world trade in mollusks, but that is not a dominant part of their trade portfolio. Very interesting, nonetheless. Okay, so that's South Korea for dummies. So why did South Korea want to sign a trade agreement with the United States? Signing a trade deal with the United States is just generally for a country a fairly attractive prospect. Um, the American market is really big. They buy lots of stuff. Um, so any any help you can get is welcome. But really, in part, this was about firing up their economy. So mid-2000s, when this whole idea gets floated, South Korea's economy is still fairly closed off to foreign competition. And they knew that increasingly they were going to have to compete uh, with China. 
So the idea was through this trade deal, they would introduce some foreign competition, they would cut some tariffs, they would open up the services industry, and they would use the deal to force through domestic policy reforms. So I was talking to Jeff Schott, who's also at the Peterson Institute, and he was telling me that countries negotiate trade deals with the US in part so that the deal forces them to do things that they wanted to do anyway, right? It's the thing that ties their hands and makes them behave well. So in South Korea... Some people were pretty worried about this deal. Uh, It was controversial. They thought that it might raise pharmaceutical products, make medicine unaffordable. But that wasn't enough to to stop it from going ahead. So, Chad, uh, why did the American side go for this deal? Okay. Well, I think it's first important to point out that when it comes to negotiating trade agreements, it's typically Republican administrations, Republican presidents that like to negotiate trade deals. Of the 14 free trade agreements that the United States has in existence right now, most all of them were started by Republicans, and all of them were negotiated and signed by Republican presidents. So the Chorus Trade Agreement, this was started by President George W. Bush in early 2006, and it was finished and signed in June of 2007. That is, that's quite a speedy negotiation as negotiations go, right? Yeah, certainly by today's standards, it was very, very quick. That's, that's certainly right. Okay, okay. So what did this deal do? Well, the deal did a couple of things. So for South Korean exports, so you talked about things like Samsung and the cars coming into the U.S. market. The U.S. average tariff is about 3.5%. Well, those got cut down to zero. For American exports going into the South Korean market. Now, South Korea's tariffs leading up to this deal were actually much, much higher, about 12%. Deals would also get cut down to zero. There's going to be some improvements on intellectual property rights protection. But then, as you already mentioned, opening up to American companies, the huge or potentially huge Korean services market. And so this is important for American companies in the financial sector, insurance, law, business services, things like that. For the United States, this was the the biggest free trade agreement that it had signed since the NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement with Canada and Mexico. But all that being said, it still wasn't really all that big. This is not a huge deal. It's only about 3% of U.S. trade happens with South Korea. Okay, so so this is only in the mid-2000s. Under George W. Bush, you said so he was negotiating this deal, but this deal came into force much later, right? It came into force under the Obama administration in 2012. So why did it get held up? Ah, well, it got held up because, like all good trade agreements, because of domestic politics. I said Republicans like to negotiate trade deals. That's true. But in the Congress, it's traditionally the Democrats' role to be a bit more skeptical of them, souring on them a little bit on the grounds of, you know, imports are coming in from countries that have poor working conditions or that might pollute the environment. So if we think back to 2007, in January of 2007, the House of Representatives had been taken over by the Democrats, so they come into power, and they need to ultimately improve the trade agreement once it gets passed. So they kick up a fuss. And eventually there's this huge back and forth and a new internal trade agreement deal in the United States, something called the May 10th Agreement, where this is a deal between Democrats and Republicans, the Congress and the executive branch, the the president, about what the future trade agreements for the United States would look like, that they would include things like environment and labor. Now, the chorus agreement had been mostly negotiated before this May 10th Agreement. And so having this thing come along then sort of holds things up and then some external events kind of take over from that point. Right. And I guess those external events 
uh, the Great Recession when maybe passing a trade deal isn't such a big priority? Right. So then what you have happen in 2008 is the American economy and really all economies around the world just falls off a cliff. So it enters into the Great Recession, unemployment spikes. And eventually in, in November of 2008, in the presidential election, Barack Obama is elected president of the United States. And so when he comes into office, his first, of course, priority is to stabilize the U.S. economy. So he's got to enact fiscal measures, fiscal stimulus. Uh, his first legislative priority was the Affordable Care Act. And so basically, this just got put off to the side for a while. Okay, so deal's dead or, or sleeping, I think. What revived the deal? So sleeping's probably a good way to put it. He didn't kill the deal. It's just sort of sleeping sitting there. So in 2009, what happened was some things that are quite similar that, or that will resonate with what's been happening recently uh, in 2017. So we've got tensions at the time between South Korea and its aggressive neighbor to the north. And North Korea's Kim Jong-il at that point conducted what we thought was the North Korea's second nuclear test. We have skirmishes between the North and the South, their warships. And so the question arose in, in 2009 for the United States during these military engagements, well, what can the United States do to show support for its ally in, in South Korea? And voila, what it can do, of course, is it dusts off this old trade agreement. Chorus. The trade economists come to the rescue. <laughs> That's right. So in January of 2010, President Obama announced that this Korea-U.S. trade agreement was going to be a priority and that he was going to try to make it happen. Okay, so chorus is game on. Now, when do you come into the story? Okay, interest of full disclosure, I started to work for President Obama's Council of Economic Advisors beginning in the summer of 2010. And so have a little bit of insight as to what happened from that point on, from being a little bit of an insider. So like all presidential administrations that take over somebody else's trade deal, what they want to do is to tweak it at least to make it their own. So in this case, on the U.S. side, what President Obama wanted to do was to focus on primarily two areas. The first was automobiles. If you think back to the Great Recession, the U.S. automobile industry had had to be bailed out and was struggling. And a concern was that opening up the U.S. market to imports from Korea of automobiles might do them further damage. The Obama administration wanted to slow down some of the tariff cuts for automobiles, but also to try to speed up some of the U.S. exports of automobiles. And there, the sticking point was some regulatory measures in Korea that were making it difficult for the bigger, more polluting American cars to, to fit in. Wait, hang on. So the Democrats are holding up this deal because they're concerned about the environment, and then they try and fix the deal by lowering the environmental standards in South Korea? Yeah, it's one of the ironies of the trade world. The, the U.S. auto industry is, uh, is particularly powerful. Um, and yes, this is, we make big cars in the United States and they tend to pollute a lot. But the other major aspect of this deal was beyond autos was beef. And so Korea had been a big market for U.S. beef exports until a, an outbreak of mad cow disease in 2003-2004. And that really shut off the Korean market entirely. And the U.S. had been trying to open it up ever since, and it hadn't really gotten there yet. And so the Obama administration really put a lot of effort into trying to claw open that beef market for U.S. ranchers uh, in the New Deal. 
Okay, great. So this is the trade deal that I've been writing about. This is the one that, that the Obama administration eventually agrees with these tweaks. So it gets signed for a second time. And then presumably, you you being in the administration, you had to convince Congress and also Americans more generally that this was the greatest deal that they'd ever seen. W- what was your job? Did you just have to sell this thing as hard as you could? My job as an economist in the administration is to try to understand what the likely effects of this kind of a trade agreement would be, to try to explain that to the president so that he could go off and explain it to Congress and the American people. So what I did is I went and looked at the economic models that were in existence at the time. And there's an economic model that's produced by the U.S. government to examine these kinds of questions to see just how big the economic gains from this type of a deal were. And it turns out, of course, that because South Korea isn't all that large, that the economic gains from such a deal aren't going to be all that large either. If my memory serves, it was something like expected to increase U.S. exports by 10 to $11 billion per year, something like that. And the U.S. exports over $2 trillion a year. So that that is not a very big number in that context. Okay, well, was the deal supposed to generate a few jobs at least? Well, uh... Politicians and policymakers, they want to try to sell trade agreements as if they create jobs. Now, as economists, that makes us a little bit uncomfortable because the work that we try to do to understand trade agreements when we use these models, this is very geeky and in the weeds, but we use models that basically assume full employment. So we assume that everybody's employed both before you have trade opening and after. And so it's not really fair to say that these trade agreements are actually going to create jobs. But what we could say is that when the United States started to export more stuff to South Korea, that would be more jobs supported by those exports. And as economists, we tend to like that kind of thing because jobs that are supported by exports tend to pay more. Okay, so the economists' line is that trade deals support jobs, they don't create them. Very important distinction that I'm sure most Americans would understand. So, did you have an idea of who would lose out from this deal? Economists, no. And we recognize that trade does create winners and losers. It's absolutely fair. We could look at the model and try to identify who it was likely to be in the case of this particular deal that might suffer, that who might lose. And what came out of the model was it was sectors like textiles, wearing apparel, and electronic equipment. So those were the ones that were expected to lose. Now, the losses were anticipated to be small. In an ideal world, when we pass this information along to policymakers, they would say, ah, well, it's good to know who those losers are going to be. You know what we need to do? When we're opening up to trade, we need to design other domestic policies to help out those losers, to help out those workers and their communities transition into new things. So that's the role of the economist in this whole exercise. Okay, but in the case of Chorus, the deal wasn't massive, and so this wasn't expected to have you know, cataclysmic effects on, on jobs. That's right. And so eventually what happens here is it's a relatively small deal. Eventually Congress passes it, it's ratified by North Korea as well, and then implemented beginning in March of 2012. So, bringing this story up to the present day, I wrote a piece for the five-year anniversary of the deal, which was supposed to be a happy anniversary, but it it wasn't in reality. So now, when I was writing this piece, such as the glamour that is my life, I was trying to find some exporters affected by the deal. I spent a while trying to get through to the Oregon Blueberry Commission. That didn't that didn't work. I then spoke to the head of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Philip Tseng, who was very helpful, and he was telling me all about their access to the Korean market. So this deal worked out 
pretty well for them. Total beef exports to South Korea were up 54% in the last five years. It's now about a billion dollars a year. And he was talking about this deal in this really interesting way. So the way he sees these free trade agreements there, it's, it's as if the US government is competing on their behalf. So a bunch of countries have free trade agreements with South Korea, and they all have slightly different levels of tariffs going in. So American beef has a 24% tariff, the Australian beef has a 29% tariff, New Zealand 34%. And so all these tariffs are gradually falling as these trade deals get implemented. And the moment the US is ahead because its tariff is only 24%, but you know, maybe some other countries will catch up. The deal is going well, well done. The government, he was very pleased. Not everyone was happy with this deal, though. There were some teething problems that American businesses complained about. So some were saying that car regulations were still shutting them out. They were saying that rules around medical devices and medicines were opaque. They couldn't get in because the rules weren't clear. But it's worth pointing out that in all these trade deals, there are committees set up to deal with any problems that arise. And mostly that's where these issues were dealt with. Okay. So it seems like there were a lot of small, as you said, teething kinds of issues that are going on here. But that's not really what's got the Trump administration all up in a fuss. So what are they upset about? No. So the president's beef with the deal is with the trade flows after it was signed. Everyone knows the Trump administration really cares about the bilateral trade deficit. And so in goods, it more than doubled between 2011, 2016 in dollar terms. And if you look at the composition of that. Since the deal was implemented, Americans have been buying more South Korean stuff, but the South Koreans haven't really been buying that many more American exports. They have been buying more services exports, but manufacturing exports just are pretty much flat since 2011. So being really generous to the Trump administration, if exports aren't rising, as the Obama administration said that they would, couldn't that be an indicator that there were barriers hidden away So it could be. And we have to keep in mind that the South Korean economy is complex. They do have these big conglomerates or networks. You think about big companies like Samsung or Hyundai that make it challenging for foreign companies to be able to penetrate into their markets. But we also have to remember that there's a lot of other things going on during this time period in terms of supply and demand. I guess, first of all, even in terms of trade policy, South Korea went off and not only signed a trade agreement with the United States, but implemented a trade agreement with the European Union, signed new trade deals with Australia, Canada, New Zealand. So you have a lot of new competition in the South Korean market for U.S. exporters that are coming from other countries as well. But even more importantly during this time period, the South Korean economy has just done very, very poorly. So even on the demand side, the South Korean demand side, there just isn't probably huge demand for imports coming in from anybody, not just the United States. So it's not that American exports to South Korea did badly. It's that everyone's exports to South Korea didn't do that well. Okay, so I guess this this reflects what happened in reality, which is that the Trump administration came into power and they convened a special session, a special committee to discuss the deal, given that the Trump administration said that it was was failing on this measure of this bilateral trade deficit. And in response, the South Koreans essentially suggested that the Americans didn't really know what they were talking about. So they suggest that why don't each side do a study to work out what the real impact of the trade deal was. So as with 
NAFTA, all other trade deals, blaming this deal for a bilateral trade deficit just doesn't really make any sense. It's not what it was supposed to do, but also the fact that the bilateral trade deficit has changed isn't really much to do with the original trade deal. And I would add, it doesn't make much sense to withdraw from the deal as a military strategy or as a logical economic strategy either. So if you think about what withdrawing from the deal would actually mean, it would likely make things a whole lot worse for the United States. So South Korea's tariffs would go right back up from zero or close to zero where they are now to on average 13%. And that would mean that America's competitors, so think about European car makers, Australian beef, or Canadian lobster. I got a call yesterday from someone in Maine really worried about the ability of people in Maine to export to South Korea. They're worried about competing with the Canadians in the, in the South Korean market. All of those other foreign countries would get an even better advantage if the United States withdrew from the deal. And finally, South Korea's domestic politics right now, also after this scandal, there's a little bit of a flavor there to what's going on in, in Mexico right now as well. The new president is much less hawkish on North Korea. They're not super happy with the Trump administration, and they're going to have a really difficult time accepting a deal that looks like it really favors the United States. Great. Another area where the Trump administration playing tough could backfire. And on that chirpy note, that is all for this week's episode of Trade Talks. So, at this point, some acknowledgements. Huge thanks to Wendy Cutler, who was the chief negotiator when the Obama administration was settling the final version of the deal, and who is now at the Asia Society Policy Institute. And thanks also to a couple of my colleagues here at Peterson. Jeff Schott, helping us understand the history of Chorus, plus his work with Melina Cobb on Republicans having negotiated and signed the vast majority of U.S. trade agreements that are currently out there. Finally, thank you to Chul Chong, Vice President of the Korea Institute for International Economic Policy, and Philip Seng of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. That is all from Trade Talks. Please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And if you have any specific feedback for future episodes, then do get in touch. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's at trade underscore underscore talks. Because like a world with only one Korea, one underscore would just be boring. I think our taglines are getting worse. <laughs>